Well, open your Bibles to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. I know you're all ready for me to say Mark, but we're going to take a little detour. Isaiah chapter 6. I shared earlier, this is a very important week for hope. We have, for the years of our existence, we have marked the week of our birthday, anniversary, whatever you're going to call that, as a, as a moment to stop and say, God, thank you. But not only thank you, but to open our lives up to God to say, God, but we want to encounter you in a fresh way because, God, we're not done yet. In the days ahead, Father, just remind us we need all you have, God. We need all you have for us to be who we are in this community, God, and who you've made us to be. And so this week, we are gonna, we're going to celebrate what we call Encounter Week. And, and in that week, we, we, we set aside time. In fact, for the last week, the elders of hope and the pastor have been praying and fasting for this week. And this morning, I invite you to join into that, whatever that may look like in your life, of saying, God, God, how do I encounter you? Lord, what does it mean to, to have more of you in my life, or more importantly, for you to have all of me? And so we invite you to pray, but then we break out of our routine. How many know that routine sometimes can just dull our senses to God? We, we can get in such ruts. How many people are like me that you kind of enjoy ruts? I, I'm the rut king. I mean, I'll, I'll eat the same breakfast, wear the same jeans, go to the same place, same coffee shop. I like routine. But God sometimes wants to break us out of our routines so that we'd be open to see him in a different way. And so we have special services during this week. In fact, Friday night at 7 o'clock, we're going to have our, our encounter service. Pastor Joe DeJesus, who is the pastor of Multiply Espanol in, uh, in Concord at North Carolina, great friend of this ministry. His son, in the early days of hope, was our drummer, and uh, he's going to come and minister that night. And then Saturday night at 6 or 6.30, I'm going to get this wrong, 6 o'clock, uh, Guillermo Palacios you need to meet a Guillermo Palacios in your life. He is the pastor of Roca de Refugio, which is the Spanish church that will meet here at 2 o'clock uh, Sunday afternoon. And he works with me in the parking lot on Thursday nights. And, oh, my goodness, I, I love this guy. And he is a preacher with anointing. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, God's going to do some amazing things. But yet we won't experience that unless we break out of our routines and prepare ourselves to encounter so I want to read about an encounter this morning because God brought a, a sermon into my life in a, in a unique way this week. Sometimes God just downloads things into your life. Do you recognize that? You don't know where they come from. You weren't really thinking about it, and all of a sudden it just becomes clear. And God did that in my life for this moment. And that is today I want to speak to you about how do you prepare for an encounter? How do you prepare for an encounter with God? Isaiah 6, verse 1 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I'm lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Father, today, God, let our hearts be open to, God, what your spirit wants to bring into us, God, through your word, your living word. 
And God, even in this picture of an encounter, God, that, that seems so otherworldly, God, Lord, let us be reminded, God, that you are near us. Let us be reminded, oh God, that, Lord, you are here. Let us be reminded, God, that you want to make us aware of your presence, God, and allow us to, to find not only the cleansing that comes from you, God, but, Lord, even the commissioning of what we are here for, God. So open our hearts, open our minds today, and Holy Spirit, speak, God, into us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Who can agree this morning that Isaiah had a pretty unique encounter with God? Right? I mean, there, there's no questioning that, that, that something took place and he had this vision of God's throne room. He saw this vision of God's glory and it changed his life forever. Gang, okay? you, you cannot come into the presence of God without being changed. There, there's no two ways about it. When we come into the presence of the King of kings and Lord of lords, we never walk out the same. Why? Because he's the one who made us, and he's the one who's been drawing us to himself from the moment we took our first breath. But it comes in an encounter. If you remember back those who are followers of Christ, you remember back the day you were saved. That was an encounter, right? There was a, there was a moment where you were aware of something you weren't aware of before, and you made a decision, and you stepped into a place where you were changed forever. That was an encounter, because encounters are things that we don't always expect, right? In fact, it'll be on the screen. An encounter is an unexpected meeting with someone or something. To encounter is to come face-to-face -face with, with an oftentimes experience and something in an unexpected way. Church, we need to experience God in a fresh way. We've been focusing at Hope Church since January 23rd on reconnecting to the Jesus of the Bible of refreshing what it means to be his, of, of reestablishing him in the, in the throne room of our lives. Because again, the church and so many lost their way over the last two to three years and, and have pushed into, into this thought that, that, you know, we don't need God. We don't need the church. But I'm here to tell you today, God made us for this. And God called us to this. And we come into it with an expectation of our God. You see, at Hope, we believe that God wants us to experience him and experience his presence. Because when we do that, we, we come into an understanding of his will for our lives. That's the number one thing I get asked as a pastor. How do I know God's will for my life? Get into his presence. Get into his word. Get into his people. And listen, because God is a revealing God. God. God is not a mysterious God trying to hide things. He wants you to know his will. But it comes when we're willing to be in a place where we say, God, we want to encounter you. Sometimes encountering with God brings us into his presence merely to rest. Sometimes we're so busy doing, God has to just show up and say, come to me. Let me show you how to rest. Let me show you how to be. But sometimes the encounter brings us into unexpected changes. Isaiah said, here I am, send me. He was, he was open. God changed the trajectory of my life, and God will do that. Those who've been in our, um, our on-ramp on the first Sunday of every month, you know the very first line of Hope's mission statement is this. We want you to encounter God. I don't want you just to know about God. Demons know about God. Followers of Christ know God. And it's a big difference. We want you to know him experientially. God is not a God to ascend to intellectually and say, oh, I can tell you all about him. There will be a lot of people on the day of judgment say, I know all about you, God. And God will say, depart from you. You never knew me. And I never knew you. Because God draws us to this encounter to know him. Not just know about him, but to know him. But yet sometimes to know him, we've got to break out of our ruts. We've got to break out of our routines. 
There's an author that I really enjoy. In fact, he's a pastor of a great church in Washington, D.C., and his, his books were actually very fundamental in the founding of Hope Church. His name is Mark Batterson. You may have read some of his books, but he always has his little sayings, and one of his sayings was that a change of pace and a change of place change perspective. We, we need sometimes a change of place and a change of space, and, and, and when we do that, it gives us a new perspective about life. So when we come to this week and we say, look, come and join us on Friday, come and join us on Saturday, you're saying, well, that's not my routine. It's not mine either. But when you break out of something, you're saying, God, I'm setting aside time to say, Lord, I want to encounter you in a fresh and new way. You see, encounters are, they're they're not predictable. We we can't say what it's going to be like, but they can be prepared for. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. What does it look like to prepare for an encounter with God? Henry Blackaby, maybe I know a lot of you, uh, Pastor David taught through his course on, on experiencing God, but he said this about encountering God. He said, meeting with God requires preparation. God is awesome and perfectly holy. Barging into his presence unprepared is an affront. Genuine worship requires spiritual preparation. Your experiences of worship reflect your spiritual preparation. Prepare yourself now for your next encounter with God. That's why sometimes you say, you know, pastor, I'm just not getting much out of coming to church. You know, I I see others, man, they seem to be really into it. I'm not. How are you preparing yourself? Are you making yourself ready to be in the presence of God? How do we engage that? Here's the reality. Look, I don't know about you, but I'm really, really good about preparing things I really want to do. Right? I'm really good about preparing for my hobbies, but I'm not always so good about preparing to encounter God. I can spend days preparing for a golf trip or a project around the house. Listen, I know some of you, you can spend months preparing for that vacation, but literally no time preparing to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And yet we barge in according to Henry Blackaby and say, God, you better show up. And yet we haven't even prepared a place for him. Now, listen, I know that encounters with God are not limited to Sundays, but for most of us, we, we get caught in this casual, casual approach to what it means to come into worship. On most Sundays, especially for parents, I remember when Denise and I had our little, little rugrats running around. I mean, your preparation is focused on can we get there, and can we get there without losing a kid or losing our salvation, one of the two. And, and I understand there's seasons of that. But truth be told, we spend more time each week preparing to honor our employers than we do with our creator. And church, that's got to change. Not only when we gather and we come, listen, this is something a lot of times we don't understand. We're not just honoring God, we're honoring the person seated next to us. Do you know that when you are worshiping God, the Bible says he is enthroned in the midst of our praises? And there are times you may be seated next to a person that has no faith or no strength to even begin to to know what it is to worship God. But when you're worshiping God, you're creating a place where God can minister to them. You see, when we approach what we do even on these days unselfishly, then we recognize God gives us more because we're making space for others to know him. I'm not ashamed to tell the story of in the early days of hope. And she's given me permission all these years to share this. Where back when we were in the rec center, when I could see everybody and I wasn't blinded by the lights and I could see where everybody was sitting and all of that, I noticed for a couple of weeks this blonde lady coming in late to the service and sitting in the back corner every week. 
And she looked angry. Inside of me, I, I had to label her in my own mind, so she became the ticked-off blonde lady. And I'd like, all right, God, thank you for the ticked-off blonde lady. And I noticed that before the service was over, she did what a lot of y'all do, like we're trying to do benediction, and you're running for the restaurant. She was out, so I never got to talk to her. And then one Sunday, I'm, I'm over by the coffee. Those who are in the rec center, remember, you had to like get out of the way. You got run over because we were tearing the place down. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting my coffee. I turn around, and the ticked-off blonde lady standing right in front of me. And my filter was not working well that day. And I said, dear God, the ticked-off blonde lady. And she starts laughing. And I'm like, whew, good. And I was like, welcome to Hope. And she's like, well, I'm, I'm glad to be here. She goes, because let me tell you, the first day I came, I woke up that morning and said, God, today is going to be the last day I'm going to be on this earth because today I'm taking my life. But I've seen a sign of a church that meets over in this place called Hope. I'm not really sure they believe that, but I'm going to go give it a try. And that day God touched her life, and she continues to live. She's moved back up north. Guys, when we worship, you don't understand sometimes what you're creating. And yet, how do we worship if we're not prepared? How do we worship if we're not ready to engage in what God has for us? So look at this encounter that Isaiah had because it'll show us many ways of, of what it looks like to encounter God, but also how to prepare for it. And the first thing I want you to see is this, that God encounters typically happen in times of desperation, but not in times of complacency. God encounters typically happen in times of desperation, not in complacency. The Word of God says it in Isaiah 6, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. And it goes on and on, lifting up in his robe, filled the temple, and it, it describes the seraphim. What was happening was Isaiah had been called as a prophet of God, but Isaiah had found comfort in the fact that the king sat on the throne. And now something that gave his life stability something that gave his life a commonality, was gone. And in that moment, when the year King Uzziah died, he looked up, and who did he see? He saw who really sits on the throne. He saw God. You see, desperation causes us to seek him. Desperation causes us to call out to him. I can go down through the word of God. You see Isaiah when, not, when Uzziah died. You see Jacob when he is running for his life because of the fear of his brother, because of his deceptiveness, and yet there in the wilderness he meets God and literally wrestles with God, and God renames him Israel, and from there we see now the children of Israel. It came in a moment of desperation. The disciples who were ordered by Jesus get in the boat, row across the other side, I'll meet you there. Only when the storm came and it was crazy and things were, they were thinking they were going to die that they see Jesus walking on the water and he invites them to come out and experience the supernatural and their lives were never the same. Oh, the early believers on the day of Pentecost, Jesus ordered, he said, look, go to Jerusalem, wait in the upper room because God has a promise he's going to fulfill in your life. Yes, they were totally disoriented. Their Lord had died on the cross. All hope was gone. The Romans were out to get them, but yet in their desperation, they prayed until the promise came. They were desperate. They encountered God in a fresh way. Look, none of us want desperate times. But there's a difference between desperate times and a desperation for God. There's a difference from things being circumstantial and things being in our heart. The psalmist David said it this way. He said, he gave this picture. He said, as the deer pants for the water. Have you ever been so thirsty you just can't wait to get the water? 
He says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, Lord. That's desperation. That's saying, God, I'm not satisfied with where I am. I'm not satisfied with who you are in my life. God, I, I seek you. But yet so often we miss those encounters. And there's a few reasons why we miss them. I believe the first reason we miss encounters with God is because so often we come to a place in life where we feel like we're in control and we're okay with our relationship with God. I don't need encounter weekend. We're good. Life's good. Kids fine. Job's fine. House is good. I don't know. Maybe the people that don't know Jesus live around you aren't good. And God wants you to encounter him to a place where you say, here am I, God, send me. It doesn't happen in complacency. See, for Isaiah, he, he wanted normal. <laughs> How often we said in the last three years, when are we going to get back to normal? We're not. <laughs> We're going to keep moving forward with God. But he thought normal meant King Uzziah is going to always be on the throne. But Isaiah had to understand the king's dead. Where do I turn to? Where do I find hope? And he sees God. There's another reason people miss encounters with God, and that is there's no desperation for God when you've given up hope, that God can change you or change your circumstances. Why, why bother to pursue him? I don't think he can do anything. This is who I am. This is who I always will be. There's no change. There's no hope. Oh, church, there's always hope. As long as you have a breath in your body, there's hope. My, my God can heal, he can deliver, he can strengthen, he can save you on your last dying breath if that's what it takes. But you cannot give hope. The disciples, after Jesus died, they'd given up hope. They were going back fishing. Jesus had to say, guys, I'm not done yet. You forget what I told you. I'm rising on the third day, and I've got a promise for you, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's going to come in your life. There's a third reason. I think this is probably the most common and why we don't experience encounters with God is we're not desperate enough to forego our routine things in order to experience the extraordinary that God has for us. Oh, Pastor, Friday's date night. There are 51 other date nights you can have this year. But I want you to make a date to be in the presence of God Friday night. Well, Pastor, this is jazz concert, man. We've been looking forward to it. Okay. You know the game's on. God, you know, there's this movie we're really wanting to see. We can so misplace priority that we will put anything and everything on the throne of our lives other than God. And when we have opportunity to step in and step out and experience something fresh in our lives, we can find all reasons and excuses to say, it's just not going to work for me. You see, we can't put our gifts up on the, on the throne and think that's what gets us by. We can't put our past up on the throne. Well, I've been a believer for 30 years. I don't need another special night. The longer I serve God, the more I know I need him. The longer I serve God, the more I realize how sinful I am. The more I serve God, the more I realize how gracious he is. The more I serve God, the realize how much I need his power to be who God created me to be. I asked them to put this on the screen. Don't wait until your king Uzziah dies to recognize that God is on the throne and you choose to seek him. Prioritize who he is because God encounters come in times of desperation. Here's the second thing about God encounters I want you to see today. God encounters reveal our spiritual condition. Isaiah was a prophet. 
called to speak to the nation. But in his vision, he saw the glory and the majesty and the, and the perfection of God. He saw God's purity, his completeness, his separation from evil. And it overwhelmed him to the point that he realized that, that there's an absolute demand of God that those who serve him be holy. And Isaiah says, I'm not. Look at it. Seraphim called to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The foundations of the threshold shake at the voice of him who called, and the house is filled with smoke. And, and I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the, people of, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Encounters with God reveal our condition. He's like, God, you called me as a prophet, but God, I, I need you to touch these lips. Why, why, why the lips? Did you think about that? Why, why, would he, why would he recognize that? Yeah. The, bur- the word God says, we have the power of life and death in the tongue, don't we? With the tongue, men curse others and praise God, sometimes on the same day. We, we, we have to recognize our heart is reflected through what we say. I mean, look at, look at Matthew 12, and we'll have that on the screen for you. It says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Is it any wonder that Isaiah's vision said, God, purify my lips? Is it any wonder on the day of Pentecost when the church is being birthed that God pours out the blessing and the power of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of that comes upon the lips of the people? They begin to speak in other tongues. They did not know why. Because out of the lips, something was going to be created or destroyed. So when we come into God's presence, we recognize this conviction. Listen, Isaiah recognized God is holy. And he recognized he was all-powerful. But in that moment of recognizing, he recognized also that he needed God's touch if he was ever going to fulfill what God was going to do in him. Did you know that we are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ if Jesus Christ is our Lord? Oh, you may not have reverend in front of your name or certificate on the wall saying you've been ordained, but can I tell you, God has called you to reach people and to love people in the name of Jesus. And we can't do that unless we operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, God working in us and through us. We're not enough, but he is. And if we see that, then we recognize that when we come into his presence, there's a conviction to that. I don't know what you do in worship, because I sit on the front when I never will turn around, because I want to I be in God's presence. But there are days in God's presence, we start singing one, one note of one song, and I'm like, oh, God, forgive me. Mm. Mm. I don't want to sing happy songs about you, God, when I know where my mind and my heart has been, God. I need your cleansing. You see, when we worship God, we come to that place where we encounter his presence and we recognize our own spiritual need. You see, church, in the Old Testament, it was very interesting. The children of Israel, before they would come to worship God, they would go through these ceremonial washings, uh, bathhouse, picture that. They, they would not come in to, to offer their gift to God without being ceremonially clean. It was, it was a symbolic move to basically say, God, we want to come in, in a pure way into your presence. Now, now we don't do that anymore, praise God. But might there be things we need to cleanse ourselves of before we come into worship? Might there be some things that we need to just lay down and lay aside before we casually come in and say, here we are, God bless me? 
I mean, think about it. So often we can come into worship and we're so loaded down with the burdens and cares of lives, we can't even say the name Jesus, much less worship him. But true worship comes when we come in in spite of our circumstances and we say, God, what I'm going through is not good, but you are good. And my hope is in you. And we lift up a worship to our God. And things change. Maybe, maybe you come in, you're overly concerned about, about what's happening in your life, knowing that God knows what's going on in your life. Maybe some people need to be cleansed of bitterness and hate. Maybe you come in and your, your, your relationship is out of joint with somebody else. Anyone, can I get a witness? No, just kidding. But you know what the Bible says about that? It says when you come to offer your gift to God and you remember that you have ought with your brother, they have ought with you, lay down your gift, go make it right with them, then come back. That's how much God values the relationships we have with each other. That's why we can't be a group of strangers. That's why true community comes that place of saying, I don't want to do anything to offend you. But if I have and God convicts my heart, then I'm hightailing it out of here to make it right before I come in and sing happy songs about God. So what is it? What does it need to be cleansed of? Maybe there's unrepentant sin in your life. Maybe there's things that just, again, are just dwelling in you that you, you make excuse for. It's that pet you, you come to, to justify, and God's saying, lay it out. Lay it out. Be like Isaiah, oh God, I've got unclean lips, Lord, please do something about it. Because a godly encounter not only reveals our spiritual condition, thirdly, God encounters bring spiritual cleansing, and that's where it gets good. God encounters bring spiritual cleansing. Verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, that he'd taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Church, what more beautiful picture can we see of God's grace? Here's Isaiah. He's aware of his sinfulness. He's aware of the sinfulness of Israel. And God provides the cleansing atonement to Isaiah because Isaiah came humbly before him. Oh, church, listen. <laughs> if we want to experience God's presence in our lives, if we want to serve his highest purposes, then we must have our sins forgiven and our hearts cleansed by the Holy Spirit. Is it any wonder that on the day of Pentecost, again in Acts 2, one of the things that was visible was like, like tongues of fire that came and, and rested upon the people? Why? Because there was a cleansing taking place as the power was being given out. But don't, don't be fooled by thinking that God only reveals himself to perfect people. Because if I asked for all the perfect people to listen to this sermon today, we'd all have to leave. But God does reveal himself to contrite people, to humble people. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So often we miss the encounters with God because we get spiritually arrogant. God, I deserve what you do in my life. I deserve my bank account to be full. God, I deserve to have health. God, I deserve that my kids are all that. Wait, what? Our sin says we deserve that, the cross. And yet he went there for us. And if he went there for us, then we come in to encounter him. We don't come in like, oh, God, you should be proud I showed up today. No, we ought to come in like, oh, God, I'm so happy to be here. God, I'm so thankful to be in the house of God. God, I'm so thankful, Lord, to be in a place where you are honored, God. And, Father, I'm not alone, God. There's people all around me, God, that are honoring you. Why? Because the humility says, oh, God, everything we have is a gift from you. 
That's why we encourage people with a simple thought, and that is when we come to worship God, don't let what's wrong with you keep you from focusing on what's right with God. Because you can be there, you're like, well, I'm unworthy. We're all unworthy. Stop it. Well, pastor, I couldn't come because I was, we're all unworthy. Show up. Be ready. And if be ready means you walk in the door saying, God, forgive me, then that's how you walk in the door. Because we prepare ourselves for an encounter with God. Finally, this morning, God encounters result in a specific commission. With a specific commission. Look what it says. He said, he heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, what does it say? Help me out here. Here am I. Send me. Church, one of the, one of the mistakes, one of the misunderstandings of what it means to come into God's presence is it's not all about you. I grew up in the Pentecostal charismatic road. Can I get any fellow fun people? No, just kidding. We are all about experience. Who cares if the Word of God got taught, but we are all about experience. It was a good day if the pastor didn't get to, if the preacher didn't get to preach. Come on, now we're getting home, we're getting home there, aren't we, West Virginia boy? What we missed, oh, there's something to pursue the presence of God. There's something to desire to be in it. There's something to experience the power of his Holy Spirit. But we have to recognize the word of God said in Acts 1.8, it was not about us just acquiring something, oh, that was fun. He says we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, that we will be his witnesses. That, that there's an outward flow of what God does when we come into his presence. Listen, notice what Isaiah did. This, this specific, the call of God was not specific. He just said, who am I going to send and who will go for us? And Isaiah did not respond to do what? No, he just said, here I am, send me. You see, when you recognize what God has done for you in redeeming your life, it matters not what he asked you. Your answer should always be yes. It's the most powerful three-letter word in the world. Yes, Lord. Will he fill in the blanks? some ways. But when he calls, we say, yes. You see, many today are waiting on God to, to put this call on their life. They want a clear vision before they serve the Lord, and that's just wrong. Listen, put it this way. If we're not willing to do what God has clearly called us to do through his word, then we should not expect greater revelations of him. Oh, I, I want to know the mysteries of God. I want to understand Daniel's prophecies, and I want to understand revelation, but yet you won't just love your neighbor. What good is it to know where we're going to end up if we don't care about bringing anybody with us? Church, encounter is for the church to be equipped to go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. I mean, if you look around you today, and I want you to just look at a seat near you, just anywhere there's an empty seat, look. Is there someone in your life you could invite to sit in that seat next week that doesn't know Jesus? Now, don't go invite Aunt Gertrude from her church, okay? That's her church. We've got to get real in this. Jesus died for our sin, but for the sin of the world. And when we come to know him and we seek to encounter him, there's a purpose behind it, and that is that we would go out and be his witnesses into the world. We've got to serve God with that willing heart. So for Isaiah, he said, he said Lord, here I am and send me. Most people don't read Isaiah 7. 
But if you read what God was sending him to do, no one would sign up for it. He said, Isaiah, you're going to go speak to a people who will not listen. You're going to go tell a bunch of people that do not care. You're going to go out and, and they're, they're spiritually blind, deaf, and mute. They're insensitive. They just don't get it. But yet that encounter with God gave Isaiah not just a duty. It gave him the power to do it. Not every lane of ministry comes with accolades. Not every lane of ministry draws the applause of men. Sometimes it's in the closet of prayer that nobody knows but God where most gets done. And we have to be in that place of saying, God, if you have this duty, then I need the authority. And that's why the power of the Holy Spirit was not given for us just to have a good time or to have different types of services. It's so that we'd be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So how do we prepare? How do we prepare? You still with me this morning? Come on, give me a little help here. When it gets really, really quiet, I get nervous, all right? I'm like, there's an exit door right there. I can get there quickly. How do we prepare real fast? Because we're going to baptize. Number one, assess your desperation for God. When's the last time you said, God, as the deer pants for water, God, I need you? Not just in a moment where a circumstance says that you need God's intervention, but you just need him to be in his presence, to know his love in your heart, or has complacency set in? Have you given up on God's ability for your inability? Have life, the pace of life, the pattern of life crowded God out? Because I think that's our greatest battle, honestly. What are we willing to let go of in order to come into God's presence? We won't do that until we confront the brutal facts of our reality, but we confront them with hope. God, this is where I am. I'm insensitive. God, this is where I am. I don't care. God, this is where I am. I used to be on fire. God, this is where I am. I'm broken. I'm hurting. But hope says come and come expecting. The second thing we do is not only assess our, our sense of desperation, but we, we consecrate ourselves, which is a good Bible word, which simply means we set ourselves apart to God. When the children of Israel were about to cross into the promised land, Joshua said this to them in Joshua 3, 5, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. What would that look like this week? For you just to daily say, God, I want to be set apart for an encounter. God, I want to be set apart for your service. God, I want to be set apart. God, what does that look like in my life? Because when we consecrate ourselves, we're recognizing that we are his. I, I told you all recently, I always get hated when I get asked, what's, what's your five-year plan, Mike? I'm like, last I checked, I was bought with a price. I'm not my own. And today I'm standing here because God says, stand here and preach. But tomorrow's a whole other adventure. And we got to live that way. God is able to do mighty things when we live that way. So how do we know that? Maybe there's things we've got to separate ourselves from this week. Maybe there's some things that are habitual that God's wanting to break in these encounters. How will you know that unless you spend time and just ask? God, what needs to change in my life? How many know he'll answer? <laughs> the Holy Spirit has a wonderful way of doing this. In fact, it's happening right now. Some of you are sitting right now, and the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, this in your life. You're like, oh, I'm sorry. That relationship is broken up. But over here, so he's laying a finger on someone else. He's like, oh, God, I've gotten... Uh, where I, I feel like I'm entitled to you. Because God deals with us individually. He deals with us perfectly. But it comes when we ask. 
Three last things. We prepare for encounters when we repent. We repent of our known and revealed sinful patterns and actions. we got to recognize the worst is who comes into the, the throne room of God, those with clean hands and pure hearts. We, we, we come in and saying, God, we are purified by your son's blood. God, we don't want anything to stand between us. So we repent. You don't let sin become your habit. You don't let sin become your excuse. You don't make it your pet and say, that's just the way I am. You say, oh God, break its power. You've broken this power, but let it be released in my life. And that comes by repentance. And out of that repentance comes the fourth thing, and that is give God thanks. Someone asked me this weekend, we were assessing church planters out in Rocky Mountain, which is always a great time. They said, Mike, how are you feeling right now turning 15? And I said, I'm feeling thankful. God's bringing up pictures of people in front of me that helped start this thing. They danced to music they hadn't even heard. They caught a vision and said, there'll be a church someday where the word of God will be preached and lives will be changed. Where people from every tribe, tongue, and nation can come and worship God together and say, this is what heaven's going to be. Where we can come and honor our king. I began to think of circumstances and challenges and trials we came on when we truly came around and said, God, we don't know what to do. God shows up. He says, I've got you. Begin to be thankful personally for the challenges of walking through something and saying, God, I don't know if I can do this. And God says, I'm the one who saved you. I'm the one who filled you with the Holy Spirit. I'm the one who called you to myself. And I'm the one who promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And that promise is for all of us. So we need to give thanks to God. Go back and recount his goodness. Go back and come into that place. 1 Thessalonians 5, 7, 5, 18 says, it's the will of God we do that. And then Psalm 100 says, in fact, we should enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We give thanks to him and bless his name. And finally, how do we prepare for encounter? Ask God to clarify your mission. Ask God to clarify your mission. God, what is it you've made me to do, Father? Some of you have been made to be the best banker that ever walked this earth. Be the best Christian banker who witnesses in how you serve others. Some of you are called to intercede for your family and your neighbors and your friends. Don't look for the accolades. Find your place in the quiet place with our God and go to battle for them. Some, God is calling because you are, you're a gatherer. You just, people gather around. Gather then. But gather not to just, hey, let's go to, go experience the Panthers, maybe win a game, one of these. How about we gather and talk about Jesus? I know every week there are gifts that are sat on in this place. Some of you should be teaching, singing, leading, caring, serving. Oh, there's times we need to just sit. I get it. But God, what has you made me to do? Because here's the thing, gang. There's no greater fulfillment than when you're walking the way God created you to walk. And there's no greater victory than when someone who is lost and far from God because of your witness says, Lord, here am I. Receive me. So church, we are coming into a week of encounter. 
And as your pastor, I'm calling you to a few things. I'm calling you, if you will, fast and pray with us. Because we want what God wants. Oh, we've got plans, but we want what He wants. Secondly, make room. I'm not going to ask you right now because I'll lose you, but pull your phones out, look at your calendar, and ask yourself what's sitting there on Friday and Saturday nights and say, is that more important than coming to a place to encounter God? And then look around you and say, who's not sitting here that God has absolutely put your attention upon and he's asking you to invite them? You say, well, pastor, I've invited them before. They said no. Do you know how many times people tell you no before they finally say yes? A lot. Some of you have been married a long time to a spouse who said no to you many times. And they finally said, okay, fine. Say, Pastor, I asked them last year, they didn't come. Well, maybe this year they're experiencing a breakdown in their marriage or cancer or difficulty. And they feel isolated and alone. And somebody that knows Jesus and just says, come, let's see what God can do. So church, let's have an encounter.